think, um, I don't know about you, but Cecil finally going public with his love for Barbies. I think it's just a real growth, just a real growth in his development, and, and I'm just proud of him for that today. Uh, hey, just, uh, just kidding about that. Uh, we are so excited to be wrapping up our Haters Gonna Hate series. Uh, it is, uh, it's week three of that. We're, we're closing that out. And we've, we've just been kind of looking at the story of Joseph in the Bible in, in Genesis. And, and I hope this series has been helpful to you. Um, if you've been able to be here, man, I've loved preaching it. It's been, it's been fun to, to preach it. And it's, you know, it's ministered to me as I've been kind of preparing it. And so I hope that it's been helpful to you. If, if you haven't been able to be here, I would really encourage you to, to go online to, to, or go get the podcast and listen to these messages. We, we've just been trying to talk about and we've been trying to find answers to how to deal with the resistance that happens in our lives to our dreams, our purpose, our calling, those things that God has put in us that we feel like we should go for, that we should do, the, 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 the destiny in our lives that we're trying to get to. But all along the way, we deal with and have to face uh, voices of criticism and doubt and hate in our lives. And sometimes those voices come from the outside to us. Sometimes it's, it's family members or friends or coworkers, and maybe they don't even realize what they're doing, but they are, they're, they're killing our dream because they're coming at us with those voices. That was the first week, but then last week we talked about how Sometimes the most influential negative voice in our lives is not from the outside to us, it's already in us. It's, it's the way we communicate to ourselves, it's the way we're talking to ourselves and, and giving up on the things that God told us he would do and the things that God said and promised us, the dreams that he's given us, because the journey just takes a while and the process kind of, kind of wears us down. And so more than being a series about haters, it's really been a series about dreamers, and, and just, we just believe with all of our heart that God has huge plans for your life, purpose and destiny and calling, that, that God did not create you to, you know, wake up, go to work, come home, fix dinner, watch Sports Center, go to bed, and wake up and do it all over again. That's not why you were created. That may be what your life looks like currently, but that's not why you were created. That God wants to do something great in you, and God wants to do something great through you. And so I'm really excited to be wrapping up this series today. And what I, what I want to talk about today is just taking, taking it right out of Genesis 45 and what happened in Joseph's life. I want to talk about how we deal with what our response should be to the people who have hurt us, to the people who have done something to us, who have tried to kill our dreams. Because that's what's going to happen in Joseph's life is is yeah, he dealt with the haters early on while he was dreaming, and yeah, he had to deal with himself while he was waiting. But now, in Genesis 45, we're going to find that Joseph has made it. He is there. He is living his dream, and he's going to have an opportunity to respond to the people who hurt him the most and the people who doubted him the most. So that's what we're going to do. Genesis 45, if you have a Bible, you can find it, uh, find it there in Genesis 45. I just want to remind you as we, as we get to 45, I just want to remind you and kind of bring us up to date on what it is that Joseph has been through the last 12 years. At around age 17, Joseph was, God gave Joseph dreams, and these dreams were uh, dreams of power and influence and, and that, that he was just going to be somebody. And these dreams he was having, he was definitely in a position of power, and he began to share those dreams with his family. And the Bible says in Genesis 37 that they hated him. 
not just because of his dreams, but the way that he talked about them. They hated him. And so one day when he's telling his brothers or they, they see him coming out to the field, they decide to kill him. But instead of killing him, somebody talks him out of that and they sell him into slavery. And the next 12 years in Joseph's life is going to be filled with pain and hurt. It's not going to look anything like the dreams that God has put in his heart, the dreams that God, the purpose that God had put in his mind. For, for the first season of these 12 years, he's going to be a slave. And, and he's going to be purchased by a man named Potiphar, and he's going to start at the bottom. And he's going to go from being his, the most loved son by his father Jacob to being the bottom of the food chain slave in a guy's house. But God was with Joseph. And even when things were looking terrible, God's favor was on his life. He was working hard. He knew that God had him in the crock pot. And, and so he begins to climb the ladder. And eventually, he becomes second in command to Potiphar's house. It took a couple of years. But now, he's finally at a place of influence and power. And maybe in Joseph's mind, maybe he thought this was it. Maybe he thought this was the dream. But he wasn't a slave anymore. And, and he was finally somebody. And one day... Potiphar's wife, who's attracted to Joseph, traps him in a room by themselves. I'm sure she was an attractive woman because she had money, and that's the way that it worked back then. And, and she tries to sleep with Joseph. Joseph refuses to do that. And when her husband comes home, she accuses Joseph of rape. He doesn't get a trial. He doesn't get a lawyer. He's just immediately thrown into the dungeon of the prison. And he's in this prison, and... There's nobody down there. I mean, he is, he's alone, and he went from being second in command to a, of an influential home, a wealthy man. He goes from being second in command of the home after doing nothing wrong, actually after doing everything right and having character and having integrity. He's thrown into the dungeon of a prison, and he's at the very bottom. But God, whose favor is on his life and his blessing is on his life, blesses what Joseph does in that prison. And we don't get a lot of details, but the Bible says that he, you know, he maybe sweeps the prison and, and he sweeps it better than everybody else. Maybe he does the laundry and he, he gets it cleaner than anybody else. There's something about Joseph that God, that even, listen, this is what's so key, that even when the reality of where Joseph, Joseph was living and what the reality of his life looked like if you looked closely, there were still some glimmers, still some signs that God had not given up on him. His hand was still in his life. And you may feel like today that you're in a prison. You may, feel, you may literally have to go to prison. You may feel like your job is a, is a loser job, and it feels like the reality is not where you want to be. But if you'll look closely, you will still see some signs that God's hand is still on your life. He's still got great plans for you. And so one day, two guys come to prison, and they have dreams, and Joseph has a gift with dreams, and so he interprets their dreams, and one guy dies. The other guy gets released from prison, and he's going to, to, to work for Pharaoh. And before he leaves, he says to Joseph, I will never forget you. I'll never, you saved my life. I will never forget you. And the next verse in the Bible says, two years went by, and he forgot. So Joseph is now again in the dungeon, in the prison. But one day he remembers, 
We read this last week. And one day he remembers, and, 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 and Pharaoh has a dream, and he brings Joseph out, and Joseph interprets the dream, and then it all came together. Pharaoh said, I'll never find anybody as wise as you to do what needs to be done, and so I'm going to put you second in command. And in that moment, Joseph shoots up the ladder of power, and he becomes second in command of the world's superpower. I want you to get this because this is key. He is the second most influential, powerful man in the world is where Joseph is. Twelve years earlier, he was being sold into slavery by his brothers. And now he is the second most influential, powerful man in the world with the strongest army at his disposal and limited resources. And in Genesis chapter 43, he's sitting there one day in his office, and in walks 10 men. And the Bible says immediately Joseph recognized them. It was his brothers. Twelve years later, the 10 brothers walk in. One was left at home. The 10 brothers walk in. Joseph recognizes them immediately, but they don't recognize him. They don't recognize him. Which is, this is not the point of the message, but I, I, I don't think that's a coincidence that they didn't recognize him because uh, so many of you, and this, this, is, this is key for, for where a lot of you are, when God begins to, to do so many incredible things in your life and grow you and stretch you and, and move you on, um, that you'll be able to recognize prior relationships that you had, but the relationships that you had won't be able to recognize you. You're a different person. You're not the same person anymore. The clothes don't fit anymore. The conversation's not as fun anymore. They're texting you at 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, wanting to go out, and you don't want to go anymore, and you don't know why. You know who they are, but they don't recognize you anymore because you're not the same person. God has developed you and grown you and stretched you, and that's what's happening in Genesis chapter 43. And so Joseph knows, but he doesn't let let him know that he knows. Genesis 44, same thing, same kind of scenario. And in Genesis chapter 45, Joseph decides... He's going to reveal who he is and tell his brothers. In Genesis 45, verse 1, it says, Joseph could stand it no longer. There were many people in the room, and he said to his workers, get out. So he was alone with his brothers when he told them who he was. Then he broke down and he wept. He wept so loudly the Egyptians could hear him and word of it quickly carried to Pharaoh's palace. And let me just say this. Isn't it odd that someone who was hurt so badly still so desperately longed to have a relationship with the people who hurt him? When your friends and family tell you, like, leave them alone. Why are you even thinking about them? Why, why are you even letting them have space in your mind? And you can't even explain why, but you just can't. That's where Joseph is. Joseph should have forgotten about them. Forget you. But the Bible says in 43, 44, and 45, he just keeps weeping. He still loves his family so much, even though they hurt him, right? And so it says, um, it says uh, I am Joseph, in verse 3, he said to his brothers, Is my father still alive? But his brothers were speechless. They were stunned to realize that Joseph was standing there in front of them. And he said, please come closer. So they came closer and he said again, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery in Egypt. So we're going to read verse 5 in just a second, but I want you to just understand the gravity of the moment. The second most powerful man in all the world 
He's standing in front of the 10 brothers who wanted to kill him, but cut him a deal and sold him into slavery 12 years earlier just because they hated him. And I don't know about you. I don't know about me. Well, I think I do kind of know about me. But if I had unlimited power and resources and could get back at anyone I wanted to get back at and never have consequences for all the people who hurt me, I think I know what I would do, at least to a couple people. A couple people, maybe. And maybe in church we would go, no, no, I would forgive them. But I think a lot of us, like, okay, you, you can do anything you want to that one boss that you had. You could say or do anything you want to that dad who walked out on you. You could say or do anything you want to the spouse who cheated on you and left you with a mortgage and won't pay their child support. You can say or do anything you want, and there'll be no consequences. You get a free bullet, whatever you want to do. That's where Joseph is standing right now. Look at what it says in verse 5. It's incredible. Joseph's response is incredible. He said, but don't be upset, which is funny because Joseph should be upset. And he's saying to his brothers, don't be upset about this. And don't be angry with yourselves. That's funny because Joseph's the one who should be angry for selling me to this place. It was God. Everybody say God. He said, wait a second, Joseph, wait, God was his brothers. His brothers sold him into slavery. That's not what Joseph said. Joseph said, it was God who sent. Everybody say sent. Sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. This is incredible. Joseph's response, where he's standing, and I, look, I know it's easy to read the Bible and just go, oh, well, they're more spiritual, or oh, well, he... You know, he has more faith, or he made it in the Bible. He must be different than me. But Joseph is a guy with a family who's heard him just like you, just like me. Here he is standing with that opportunity, and Joseph doesn't just forgive. Matter of fact, there's nothing in the verse that says, hey, I forgive you. I know you hurt me, and I could get back at you, but don't worry. I'm not, I forgive you. Joseph never even says that. The word forgiveness never even comes up. Because it's almost as if Joseph doesn't even feel like he needs to forgive them. He says, don't even worry about it, guys. It was God, it was God who sent me. Joseph believed, this is is incredible faith, incredible perspective, but Joseph believed that the pain, that God didn't just figure out a way to make something good out of his pain. Joseph believed that the pain was God's plan in order to get him where he wanted to get him. Let me say that one more time. Joseph didn't just believe that God was using his pain somehow to figure out how to make something good out of it. Joseph believed that the pain was what God was doing in him or using for him in order to get him to where he needed to be. And I know theologically that's just like, I don't even know where to go with all that, and I get it, and I don't have answers. I wish I did, but I, I don't. But I'm just telling you what Joseph said. Joseph said, you didn't wrong me. God blessed me. Wait a second. You're saying, I was sold into slavery and God blessed me? And Joseph says, that's right. Because I never would have been here if you hadn't done what you had done. So I just wanted to say, Joseph says, thank you. I just wanted to say thanks, guys. 
Just wanted to say thanks. And I know that I've struggled all week thinking about this message because when you're dealing with pain, real hurt, people who have done you wrong, nothing is more infuriating than people who give you uh, a bumper sticker Christianity, like fortune cookie Jesus. You know what I'm talking about? Um, I, when, when my mom passed away, uh, she was 49 years old and died of colon cancer, and incredible woman. If we're talking about fairness, she didn't deserve to die. It was, you know, just crazy. And, and I'm, I'm standing in the receiving line. My dad is kind of a big deal in this tribe of church things. So we had to do two funerals, two different cities. And the, the, the support was incredible, and like people were unbelievable. But for me, in that moment, nobody was doing anything wrong on purpose, but I'm standing in that receiving line. And if one more person told me God needed another angel, I just wanted to punch him in the face. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like, it wasn't their fault. You know what I mean? Like, they were just trying to love me, and it was just their time for a one-on-one conversation. But person number 477 who just said, you know, God must have needed her more than we did. I, I just wanted to karate chop him in the throat. Because I, 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 I didn't want to hear that anymore. And I'm not trying to sound insensitive, and I'm just going to, I want to keep saying they weren't doing anything wrong. But when you're really going through hurt, and you're really going through pain, and people come up and they're like, hey, well, you know, God's got a plan. I mean, you just, you don't want to hear that anymore. And so as I've been thinking about hurt and dealing with hurt and the people who hurt us, what I don't want to do today is I don't want to give you a bunch of uh, bumper sticker slogans like, hey, you know, you, you, know, you can make it. You're going to be okay. Because like, I know you're really hurting. And I know you really feel like you'll never get over it. And I know you really feel like you're justified in in the emotions that you have and the feelings that you have towards other people. I totally get it. But I want to try to be as practical as I can and as helpful as I can for the few minutes we have together. And so I want to give you just two takeaways this morning uh, that I believe we can take from the ending of this story of Joseph. If you've got a pen or paper, I would really encourage you to write these down. Maybe put them in your phone. If you're going through some hurt right now, or maybe it happened to you, but you haven't been able to get through it, I really believe this can help you this morning. And if you're not going through hurt right now, just kind of tuck it away, because there will come a point in your life when you will, and hopefully you'll be able to, to pull these out, and, and it'll help you. Let me give you two takeaways from the ending of the story of Joseph and how he responded to his, his brothers. The first one is this, is that when someone hurts us, we have two choices, We can either let it help us, or we can let it hold us. And when someone someone hurts us, we have two choices. We can either let that hurt help us, or we can let that hurt hold us. And this is a decision that we have to make, and for some of us, it's a decision we're going to have to make every morning that we wake up. But Joseph made the decision. He did not view what happened to him as betrayal He viewed it as a blessing. He viewed it as a blessing. And maybe in here, maybe you're here today and your spouse left you. Maybe your parents did get divorced when you were young. You lost your job unfairly. You can't catch a break. And I don't want to minimize what you are going through or what you're experiencing, but could I just for a second ask you to step out of that and to analyze it from not right in the middle of it and ask yourself, how, is, how could this help me? How could this help me? 
How does this this move me forward? What is it that God could use in this? What is it that God could do through this in order to help me, in order to do something uh, incredible in my life? Maybe you lost a child. Maybe, Maybe you lost a child and you say, Jason, that's ridiculous. How could anything good come of that? And I, I'm not going to begin to try to tell you all the good things that make it come of that because you don't want to hear that. But what if just for a moment you said, God, this is incredibly painful. This hurt has been unbelievable, but I don't want to stay here. And you allowed God to somehow minister through your pain to other people who have lost someone in their lives. And you begin to relate to them in a way that no one could relate to them because... Because of that. The painful things that you've been through in your life, maybe they have built up your emotional pain tolerance and now allow you to put yourself in some other situations that you could not have ever uh, handled before, but now you can handle them. Joseph was now finding himself in a situation where he was going to be in charge of all the resources of the most powerful country or nation in the world And Joseph would have never been able to do that as a spoiled 17-year-old kid, but it was the slavery, the slave owner, Potiphar, running the small business, being in the prison, helping the... It was through all of that process that God was wiring him and setting him up in order to do what he needed him to do. As long as you and I decide to play the victim, we're allowing that hurt to hold us. I don't mean to sound like Dr. Phil this morning, but, but as long as we decide, you know what, I'm justified in staying right here. It's legitimate what has been done to me, and if I move on, then everybody will move on, and nobody will, will realize the wrong that they did, and nobody, they won't have to pay for that, and, and, and I'm, I'm just going to stay right here. I'm deciding that instead of Instead of moving forward and instead of allowing what's happened to me to kind of fuel me and to drive me forward, I'm just going to stay right here because camping out right here, I get sympathy and I get pity and it makes me feel better about myself to know that I was wronged and everybody knows it. Joseph could have done that. But there's nowhere in the scripture you won't find it. Read the whole story of Joseph where you find him complaining You find him being negative, nothing. You'll never find it. Because Joseph, even though the Bible doesn't tell us this, it is obvious to us by the way that he is proactively moving forward, it's obvious to us that Joseph was not going to let what happened to him paralyze him and hold him back. I was reading a book the other day about about Joseph and his brothers, and they made an interesting statement in there. They said, you know, Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery, but his brothers lived more in chains than Joseph did. Because Joseph may have been chained up, but he didn't live in chains. There's an interesting story in John chapter 5 where Jesus encountered a man who had been crippled for 38 years. 38 years, right? And it's a really bizarre story. In John chapter 5, there's a a, a water, a pool or something called Bethesda, and there's sick people laying all around it. And all the Bible tells us is that occasionally an angel will stir the water, and if the, the first person to get in the water would be healed. Like, literally, that's what the Bible says. Pretty crazy. And so Jesus is walking one day by this pool, and he runs into a man who has been crippled for 38 years in John chapter 5 
Verse 2, this is what it says. It says, Inside the city near the sheep gate was the pool of Bethesda, with five covered porches. Crowds of sick people, blind, lamed, or paralyzed, lay on the porches. One of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him and knew he had been ill for a long time, he asked him. Now, I want you to, I want you to look at what Jesus asked him. Would you like to get well? Jesus didn't say, like, are you ready? Jesus didn't say, okay, I'm going to make you well. Jesus looked at a man who had been crippled for 38 years and said, do you want to be healed? And we look and go, of course he wants to be healed. He's been crippled 38 years, but that's not always true. And Jesus looks at him and says, do you want to be healed? Because I can but if I heal you, you're not going to be able to sit here anymore. You got to get up. You got to go get a job. You got to support a family. You don't get to whine anymore about the fact that you've been crippled 38 years. I'm about to make it all right, but you're not going to have this crutch anymore. Do you want me to do that? And look at what he says, the beginning of verse 7, three words. I can't, sir. Jesus says, do you want to be healed? And the guy says, I can't do it. And he goes on to say, well, nobody will help me. You know, if somebody would help me, then, you know, I would get better. If somebody would, if somebody would help me, get, help me get up, then I would. But nobody's here to help me, and everybody's giving up on me, and so I, I can't get in there. And he's standing there with Jesus, who has the ability in one second to heal him. And Jesus wants to know, do you want to be healed? And I ask you the same question this morning. I don't mean to be insensitive. I don't mean to be rude about what you're facing or what you're going through. But if Jesus could take it off of your life, would you even want him to? You wouldn't get to complain about it anymore. You wouldn't get to use it as a crutch anymore. You'd have to come up with something else to talk about when you hang out with your friends. You'd have to figure out somebody else to be angry at, somebody else to be mad at. I know for me in my life over the last two years, really about 18 months, you know, I've dealt with hurt and pain for me in ways that I had never dealt with before. And I'm not trying to compare mine to yours because I'm sure it's not as bad. But I know just for me, just experiences in my life and, you know, relationships and best friendships and, and just hurt and, and, you know, days where, days where I just, you know, sat on the couch in my sweatpants, you know, with Chips Ahoy in my lap and just was not going to get up and, and depressed and struggling and doubting my calling and wondering if I was even doing what God had called me to do. And, and amazingly, I'm, I mean, God blessed me with an incredible wife who wouldn't let me stay there. And she'd come in and be like, all right, I'm praying for you. And she'd pray for me and we'd get moving. But, and, I, and what would happen to me in that time is that I would, I would say, okay, I'm moving on. I'm done. I'm ready. I, I, I'm done with this. I'm not going to bring it up anymore. I'm moving on. And I would be awesome for like a week. And then one conversation with somebody, and it would just ooze out of me. That poison, that toxin would just come out of me. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? I'm ready to move on. I'm healed up. I'm stitched up. I'm not going to go there anymore. One text message, and I'm like, oh, I'm, just, and I'm back there again. You know what I'm talking about? I want to get better. I want to be healed. I want to move on. And so like 14, 16 months into this thing, finally, I'm by myself one day, and I'm praying, and I'm doing some writing, and I said to God, I wrote about four pages of just really depressed stuff, and I just said to God, God, I'm, I cannot live like this. I'm not going to live like this. I wrote this sentence, and I said, God, what does life look like beyond this? 
And I just began to pray to God, God, I want you to break this off of my life. Like, for real, I started using phrases I don't ever use. I'm just like, God, I need, you to, I need a breakthrough in my life. I need you to break this off of me. I need this cloud to be moved out of my head. I started doing some fasting. I started doing some serious prayer. And, and God, I am ready to move on from this. I don't want to tell the stories anymore. I don't want to cry about it anymore. I don't want to whine about it anymore. I'm done with this, God. And so, thanks be to Jesus, he did. After some fasting and prayer and lots of people loving me and praying for me, he did. And I'm so grateful for that. But, it was in the, it, but for me, it was like, when that actually finally happened, it wasn't just a scab. It was like God like moved the clouds. Like I could see the sky again. But I had to come to the point where I said, God, I would rather not be able to have the stories to tell and move on than to have a crutch or to have a great story to tell at a party about how somebody hurt me. I'm ready to move on. I had to get to the place where I wanted to be. And I'm not saying that just because you're dealing with it, you don't want to. But I am asking you the question, knowing that Jesus can, do you really want him to? Do you really want him to? Because hurt will either help us or hold us. And Joseph... After he analyzed everything and looked at everything, Joseph said, you know what? It was my brothers betraying me that launched me towards my purpose. So instead of forgiving him, he said, thank you. The second takeaway is this. The first one is that that hurt can either help us or hold us. The second one is this, is that God's plans for our lives are greater than our circumstances or the things people do to hurt us. God's plan for our lives or plans for our lives are greater than our circumstances or the things people do to hurt us. The first one was a decision that we have to make. The second one is a mindset that we have to take. The first one is a decision. The second one is a mindset that we have to take that God's plans are better, greater, more powerful than circumstances or hurt that has happened to me. So in other words, It's not that God has a plan for your life, that God has purpose for your life, but because you are hurt, the hurt trumps the plans. That's not the way that it works. The way that it works is that God's plan, purpose, dreams, calling in your life is always number one. It's above all the circumstances and all the hurt that could happen to you. And what's amazing is that how God uses all of those ingredients to bring together greater purpose. I begin to think about this. You see it all through the Bible. Moses was given up by his parents. I mean, the circumstances are crazy, but the reality was is that Moses' mom gave him up. He was an orphan. He was adopted. And that's legitimate grounds to just have an awful life. You don't have parents like everybody else has parents. But God's plans for Moses was that one day, 80 years later, he would come back to Pharaoh to ask for the people to go. And who better to go to Pharaoh than the brother or the son who was raised in the house? So watch what happened. The painful, hurtful thing that happened to Moses was that his parents gave him up. God's plan for his life was that he was raised in Pharaoh's home. You say, well, which come first? I don't know. I ain't got time to go there this morning. What I'm telling you is that God's plans 
supersede and trump the circumstances or the things that happen to us. So Moses could have said, oh, well, man, I'm, I, nobody loved me. My parents gave me up. Or he could say, thank you, God, for positioning me in the right place that I need to be put at in order to do what you called me to do. David was neglected. David was, you know, a brother of six or seven, and the Bible says they didn't even invite him to family dinner. I want you to think about that for a second. That David had to go out in the fields and work, and the other six and the parents would eat dinner, and David wasn't even invited. That's grounds to, to just pout and whine the rest of your life and talk about how you have daddy issues, and nobody loves you. That's legitimate. But watch what happened. He's driven out into the field. He's neglected. He's, he's unloved, if you will, out in the field. And it's out in that field that he learns how to kill lions and bears. It's out in that field that he begins to learn how to play the harp, begins to write psalms. It's out in that field that David develops a heart that God would eventually describe as a man after his own heart. And so, and so David could have decided, you know what, my daddy didn't love me. But David decided, you know what, while I'm out in this field, I might as well learn how to worship. I might as well learn how to love God. I might as well learn how to kill something. And then all of a sudden one day, here's Goliath. And David's like, oh, I can do that. Because God's plans supersede, they're greater than the circumstances or the things that hurt us. In Malcolm Gladwell's latest book, uh, David and Goliath, he talks about uh, he he talks about this term they use in, in uh, psychology. Um, I just went, what is it? Desirable difficulties. I forget it every time. My wife is. I read the book and she didn't even read the book. I read the book and I can't remember the phrase. Um, called desirable difficulties, and and what he talks about in the book is that that there are things that happen to us that we would never wish to happen to anybody else, but because they happen to us, they made us into who we are. So they begin to interview these CEOs of these companies that are incredibly successful after they found out that they were dyslexic. And so they would ask them, you know, what do you attribute to your success? And these CEOs would say, every one of them would say, uh, the number one ad or cause or attribute was that at an early age, I struggled with a learning disorder, and I had to learn how to improvise. I had to learn how to think on my feet. I had to learn how to convince people to give me second chances. I became a salesman, all that stuff. Because of that, I would not be who I am today if it wasn't for the learning disability, right? And then they would ask this question, so do you want your kids to be dyslexic? And they would go, oh, God, no. Never. I would never wish that on my kids ever. And they're like, wait a second. I thought you said that's what made you successful. And they're like, yeah, absolutely. But I would never want that to be on my kids. What they're describing is that there are things that happen to us that we would never want to happen to anybody else. But thank God they happen to us. Because they happen to us and now God uses that. Takes it. Because his plans, his calling, his dreams are always greater takes those desirable difficulties and it launches us towards our dreams, our destiny, our calling, our plans. I want to close uh, today with a prayer. I'm going to read it to us and then I would like for us to read it together. My, 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 just my heart in this room this morning is so much, well, this, this you know, sermon was not as much fun as the other two, but I feel like it drives to the, the heart of us more than any of the other ones. That There's so much hurt in the room. There's so much pain in the room. Things that have been done to us. Things that life has done to us. 
I just so desperately want God, I want the Holy Spirit this morning to just give you freedom. Just, just to break it off of your life and to allow you to be healed and to move on. And it's incredible when God heals us physically. But I don't know about you, but there are a lot of times I need God to heal me emotionally a lot more than I need him to heal me physically. So I just pray that for you this morning. So here's the closing prayer. God, I believe my pain has a purpose. Help me to not let my past hurts keep me from my future dreams. Keep me focused on your purpose for my life. God, I believe my pain has a purpose. Help me to not let my past hurts keep me from my future dreams. And keep me focused on your purpose for my life. Can we just read that? Say that together. Say that with me. God, I believe my pain has a purpose. Help me to not let my past hurts Keep me from my future dreams and keep me focused on your purpose for my life. Now you know, let's say it one more time. God, I believe my pain has a purpose. Help me to not let my past hurts keep me from my future dreams and keep me focused on your purpose for my life. I know it hurt, I know it was painful, I know you're scarred. And I know it's legitimate. But your pain has a purpose. And God wants to take that and he wants to launch you into purpose and calling and destiny. And to break the chains off of you and stop letting that hurt hold you. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you're never caught off guard. God, I thank you that things don't happen to us in life and, and you're surprised. I thank you that our hurts don't disqualify us. God, I thank you that you didn't give up on us when everybody else gave up on us because they were tired of us whining or complaining or crying about our hurt, God. You were there with us. You've been there with us through the whole way. But God, I pray in Jesus' name this morning that the Holy Spirit would rest on us this morning and just breathe into us new life a new spirit, that the chains would be broken off of our life, that the cloud would be lifted from over our head, that, that we would have a new spirit in us deciding that we're going to use what happened to us to help us to move forward and move on from where we are. God, the answer is yes, we want to be healed. So God, in Jesus' name right now, I just pray for emotional healing this morning. All the wounds and the hurts in the hearts of the people. Do something incredible in their lives. Nobody looking around. Every head bow. But I just want to ask you this question this morning. If you're here and you would say, Jason, that's me. I, I, I've got deep hurt, deep wounds. And I... I just would like for you to pray for me. I'm not going to make you stand up. We're not coming down in front of anything, but I just want to pray for you this morning. If that's you, nobody's looking around you to say, Jason, would you pray for me? I'm dealing with some deep hurt. Just raise your hand if that's you. Yeah. Yeah, hands going up everywhere. I just got deep hurt, deep pain in my life. People did me wrong. God, you see every hand that's lifted right now. God, I just pray in Jesus' name, freedom for them. God, break the bondage off of their hearts and off of their life, God. 
You see every hand that's lifted. You've seen every tear that's been cried. God, I just pray in Jesus' name, freedom for their soul. Holy Spirit, breathe new life into them. Holy Spirit, breathe fresh new beginnings in them. In Jesus' name. Everybody, heads bowed, eyes closed one more time. We always want to give the opportunity for people to give their life to Jesus because it's the best thing that could ever happen to you. And while I've been talking this morning, maybe you would say, Jason, I, I just, I don't even know how to explain it, but I just feel like I'm supposed to give my life to Jesus Christ today. I'm supposed to commit my life to him, to ask him to be the savior of my life, the Lord of my life. I'm ready to start a new relationship with Jesus Christ. If that's you this morning, we're not going to embarrass you, make you stand up, come down front. We really just want to pray a prayer together. We're going to do that. But if that's you and you just say, Jason, I'm ready. I want to give my life to Jesus Christ. Or maybe I got so far away from God, I don't even know what to call it, but I'm ready to restart my relationship with God. If that's you this morning, would you just lift your hand and look at me? Just make eye contact with me and say, yeah, Jason, that's me. I want to give my life to Jesus Christ. I'm ready for God to do a new thing in my life. I'm ready to live for him. Just a few more seconds. Anybody? Yeah, keep your hand up. They're coming to you. Anybody else should say, I'm ready to give my life to Jesus Christ. Tired of living for me. I'm ready to give my life to Christ, be a new person. All right, everybody stand up with me this morning. We're going to pray a prayer together. I'm going to ask everybody to pray it with me so we can give some confidence and boldness to those who are maybe praying it for the first time or the first time in a long time. And maybe you didn't raise your hand this morning. You were scared. You didn't know what to do, you know. And you're like, ah, I don't want to raise my hand. And it's okay. Jesus Christ, if you pray these words and you mean them with all your heart, he'll save you. He'll come into your life. He'll start a new life in you today. So everybody just pray this prayer with me like you mean it. Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I am a sinner and I need you to save me. The next time I fall, help me to get up and run to you, not away from you. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Can we clap our hands for those people? Come on, let's celebrate what God's done in their life. Incredible new beginning.